Colloquium, Episode 14. Imagine You're Dying. Dave Dwanch on Cyrus Perkins and the Haunted Taxicab. Welcome to Colloquium. My name is Mark Hassan, and this is my comics creator interview podcast for Sequart. I recently had a chance to talk with comic book creator Dave Dwanch. Dave has been in the comics industry since 2005, writing the critically acclaimed series Vamplets, Ghost Town, and Double Jumpers. He's also the creative director for Action Lab Entertainment, which is now celebrating five years as a publisher. This episode, Dave and I discuss his brand new comic book series, Cyrus Perkins and the Haunted Taxicab. The first issue appropriately debuts on Halloween. I talked to Dave about writing supernatural tales for all ages, the origins of Action Lab, seeing ghosts as a child, and how almost dying inside a taxicab led him to create his new series. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, Dave, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing something I rarely ever do. I'm drawing right now. You're drawing? Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I that's how I started. I, I'm sure we could talk about it. <laughs> I actually have a question about it. Yeah, so uh, I, uh, I rarely ever do anymore, and uh, when I do, it's with purpose, and it's never, ever to draw comics anymore, which is strange. Um, but uh, I do... I do prints that I, you know, I do cons with because really it's like the margin on prints are stupid. And as a writer, I mean, you got to you got to know how it is, right? I mean, like, what do you do when you're a writer selling four dollar books? I mean, uh, you're kind of fucked, you know. <laughs> it's just <laughs> bad. I like, I feel like writers have the shortest end of the stick, like ever, because everyone always complains about how artists never get paid. And then writers are like, okay, I'll pay out of pocket, you know, and then still split money on the back end right. and, you know, go broke just to get my idea out there and then go to conventions and sell $4 fucking comic book. <laughs> how am I going to win? You know what I mean? Like, wh- how, how is this ever going to work for me? <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's, it's funny because, you know, I think as a creator, you're, everyone is always like waiting for, um, waiting for that thing to hit, right? Like that one thing that's going to get them there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you spend your entire career waiting for that one thing. And and then for me, it was Vamplets, which is weird because I don't have that much to do with it, you know? I mean, I, I wrote it, sure, um, but it was already a property that existed. And, you know, whenever I do shows, I know I can expect X amount of dollars out of that that property, you know, mm-hmm. at, at my table, you know? Um right. And now that's starting to slow down a little bit because, you know, we did the three volumes of it uh, and then it went, it got released through Scholastic. So that went bananas and that was awesome. Uh, But the follow-up is taking a lot longer and it's like, as, as like for, for the amount of time that it's, uh, it's delayed, it incrementally goes down in sales at shows. So I'm like, wow, diminishing returns. I got to find something. Um, and I got really, really lucky last year. I started doing the uh, Game of Thrones um, Justice League uh, mm-hmm. mashup thing. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. But, yeah, I, I did it with San Diego a couple of years back. Someone from MTV picked it up, uh, started wearing my shirt, and then, like, it just started hitting. And that was, like, more popular than the Vamplets thing. And then uh, I got uh, a commission from... This last San Diego, this this company bought a ton of them, and uh, they have stores at City Walk uh, in, at Universal in Florida. They have one in Vegas. They've got one uh, in downtown New York. It's like an art gallery mm-hmm. of like pop culture stuff, and they picked up like a ton of my prints. So I just I contacted them, and they were like, "Hey, we're looking for something with this theme," and I'm like, "I'm already working on it." So and I, of course I lied because I'm totally not working on it. Right. But, you know, I decided to jump down into my studio and start drawing today. And uh, I honestly, I draw like 
maybe maybe five hours a month, which I mean, I guess that says a lot about my writing and and all the things we do at Action Lab. But you know, when I do, it's it really is with purpose. It's crazy. Well, it's fantastic that you have that other skill because a lot of people don't. But I'm you know, it's crazy too. Is is I'm super fast. It's just I I don't do it enough. So there's always that hour of warm up that like I'm like am I on the right path? I'm not really sure if I'm I'm here. And then by the end of you know hour three, I'm like whoa, I'm done. You know. What inspired you to to start doing that, Dave? Was it you know just your love of comics? What got you into art in the first place? Oh, I you know I went to art school. Uh, I, I was actually an illustration major and a uh, and a uh, creative writer, uh, creative writing minor. Um, Should have flipped that completely, um, but. You know, I, I like my my intent was always to draw comic books. Um, up until about, shit, till about two thousand five or six, mm-hmm. six or seven. Uh, that was like the goal, right? Um, then I started self publishing, and I'm like, wow, I'm really in deep. Like, there's no way I could do this um, by myself. And and you know, you, you hit the artist alley, you're you're hawking your wares and, you know, it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, by 2010, I'd kind of lost like my faith in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then luckily I'd, I'd met a bunch of guys through the comic geek speak podcast. And I know that podcast. I've listened to that. I haven't, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit to something. I haven't listened to it in a while. Oh, you're a busy dude. Well, and they're, and they're, they're still dear friends. Like every time I see them, I'm like, Oh my God. Um, but that's kind of how Action Lab was born. We we were all fans of the show, and um, and we they had they had their own convention. They had gotten big enough to like do their own like one day, two day show, and uh, so I met a bunch of like minded dudes um, at their show, and then we all went to Heroes Con one year. It was two thousand nine, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, we all had a horrible show. It was just like. You know, I, I don't know if it, it was like con fatigue or what, but you know, you have some of those shows that you, you you're riding high and you hit that one bump in the road and you're like, oh, I just I give up. You know, this if, if every other show is going to be like this fucking show, I got to quit. Um, so we're all sitting around drinking at a bar and we all just started like talking about what we love about comics. You know, not not necessarily um, about our limitations, but more about our strengths and what we feel like we bring to it. And it all of us had a different story. All of us had something that, that we liked about it. And we were all really good at one or two things, but not the other, you know? And, uh, and we we're all self-publishing. So we we're like, why are we, why are we doing that? Like, why wouldn't we just group up and then, you know, run the business from different angles, you know? Hmm. Um, that's awesome. and that's how Action Lab got, uh, was born. It was also the same, um, the same, uh, convention I met Jeremy Whitley, uh, who was the Princeless, uh, creator. Right. And um, like we swapped books. I don't know if he had a bad show or not, but I was right next to him, and it didn't look like any of us were having like any real love at that show. Um, and I finally read like the first version of Princeless uh, like three months later, and was like, "Hey, I'm starting this company. You need a new artist because it's just not marketable. But if you you don't need, need to change a thing about the script, just change the artist, and you got something good." And so we found him an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were off to the races with that book. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the book that launched Action Lab. But, you know, right on the back of that uh, was, well, we did Fracture first, mm-hmm. then Princeless, then Double Jumpers, which was my book. And and if you just look at those three books, how, like, very, very different they are, it really kind of set the tone for what Action Lab was going to be. It was just going to be whatever the hell we wanted to do, mm-hmm. big ideas, better execution, you know, just like fun uh a fun library is what we wanted to build you know and so like that's what i love most about action lab is the diversity of books just so many different kinds of books different stories it's it's amazing well you know i think finally people are figuring out that we are a publisher you know i mean like hmm. for the longest time we were just the the people that made princeless and ever and that was like a super darling um but you know, we, we weren't necessarily known as a publisher. We were like the guys got real lucky with one book. Well, I mean, that that's going to happen when you're first starting out. But now it's five years, you know? Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. Um, and it feels like like we've just begun, really. Like none of us – I mean, we've, we've lost a few along the way. Uh, the, the people that, that were meant to be creators that 
jumped into the business side and then they're moving back into creator now because that's really the love of it, right? And I, I, I'll be honest, that's where I fit in best too, but I also love finding people's books and talking to creators and, and like nurturing that growth and then making it a reality. You know, a lot of people just keep, they, they come to me and they're like, dude, if it wasn't for you guys taking a risk on my book, that book would never get made. Right. And I, I don't think that's true. I mean, pretty much every creator that we've been working with has had that love and that drive and they would have found, you know, like the Jurassic Park, man, it's like life finds a way, you know, you're just like, nah, they would fucking, they, they, they'd have done this by themselves, you know, even if they were like washed out in Heroes Con Artist Alley, you know, like we were five years ago, um, they still would have done it. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, well, let's talk about Cyrus Perkins and the Haunted Taxi Cab, Dave. Yeah, sure. Um, it's, uh, well, it's coming out. We just sent it to the printer, so it's coming out uh, on Halloween. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I wanted it to be like a, a, a fun, spooky uh, uh, release, you know, something something a little different. Um, and, uh, you know, we did Vamplets. We had a, the, the free comic book day Vamplets book on Halloween last year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a bunch of signings for, with that and then with Cyrus. Um but yeah, that one was really born out of uh, out of a, a strange, weird time in my life. So so weird. How would you describe this series to people when they ask about it? It's it's crime noir for kids. If that makes sense. Um, it touches on some heavy stuff, but I, I don't think it's uh, anything that's too dangerous, you know. Um, but uh, I like to think it's kind of like if Supernatural, the the show met like goosebumps there's like a huh. there's like a weird buddy aspect to it two guys driving around in a car trying to solve this crime mm. uh that also happens to be the mystery of how one of them died right. so it's pretty cool i mean i you know it's it's a blend of things i don't like to stick to um oh, hold on my my fiance is down here looking at my the drawing i'm working on it's pretty yeah. rad right yeah that's pretty awesome look at this one okay um so, um, you know, it's it's basically about a kid that stumbles into a, a taxi cab dying of a, a gunshot wound, and he winds up dying in the cab, and uh, the uh, he winds up dying in the cab and then winds up haunting the taxi cab until the taxi cab driver solves his murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't, he's kind of an amnesiac ghost, he doesn't remember anything, uh, so they're slowly piecing it together, uh, together. Um, over the course of four issues. And then there's many, many plot twists along the way. I, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with my writing, but I don't really like to stick into, in, into one genre as I write. So it's a really weird blend of things. Um, it does go really dark towards mm-hmm. the end, but it, it pulls back to the light. You know, it's, it, it's a good title. Yeah, I mean, I think you're really good at uh, shifting the, the tones and still making it cohesive, Dave. I really like that part of it. So the story came to you uh, when you had a medical emergency, you almost died in a cab. Yeah. So, so what happened? Oh, so I was, uh, okay, so <laughs> I went home from, from work uh, one day with just kind of like a stomach ache, and I, I thought it was food poisoning. I didn't really know what it was going on. And then over the course of the next five days, um, you know, every symptom, every awful symptom that you can think of was thrown at me. I mean, vomiting, you know, just uh, fever, Cold, cold flashes, lower back pain that that didn't allow me to walk. I mean, it was just crazy. I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole time, I'm thinking there can't be anything really wrong. You know, I mean, like, you know, when you're you, when you're mortal and you're not, and when you're living the moment, you're not really thinking, oh, I, I could die, you know, or this is something life threatening. I just thought, oh, it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. And five days later, now it, it it hadn't. Especially when you're young, you don't think anything's going to happen to you at that age, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and it's weird though too. I've had uh, like. Uh, the strangest health issues over the past like three or four years. I uh, I had heart surgery two years ago. Um, Jesus, Dave, you're a mess. I'm a mess. I'm genetically inferior. I <laughs> yes, I, I'm I'm homo inferior. The mutants definitely <laughs> would kill me like really quickly. I'd be the first to go. Um, but uh, yeah, so so uh, I called the helpline. They were like, yeah, dude, no, that's not that's not food poisoning. Uh, you know, we'll call you an ambulance. I'm like, I, I, I don't really know how much that's going to cost. How about, how about I just take a cab? And they're like, fine, take a cab, but just don't drive. And I'm like, I could drive. And they're like, no, don't, don't drive. Um, 
So I called the cab and then I waited. And you know, you know when you're when you're sick and, and dying and you're like, no, no, I don't know that, Dave. Okay. Well, you know, you know when you're feeling awful and then you're you, okay. How about this? This is the best and worst way of of comparing it because it's it's not necessarily the most painful. But you know when you have to pee and then you're like. I'm like five minutes away from a restroom and you just feel that much more intensely like you have to pee. Yes. Now, now imagine you're dying and you know that you're 15 minutes away from getting help and it just intensifies everything. So I'm waiting for another 15 minutes for a taxi cab to pull up to my, uh, to my house and he does. And I crawl like from my porch Holy shit. Tab, and, and I just, it's the same scene in that book where I just like whispered drive and I basically said hospital and I passed out. And then like five, six minutes later, he's like screaming at me. He's like, which hospital? I have no idea where we're going. Um, and I told him, you know, Kaiser, uh, keep going this way. You'll make a right at the end, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I passed out again. Um, and I wake up to him like just running red lights and, you know, it, it was, in, it was intense. Jesus. And uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not a very serious person. And, uh, I basically told him that if I died in the cab, I would I would fucking haunt it. So he better get me to the hospital, or he's going to see a lot more of me for the rest of his life. Um, and uh, that that joke just kind of stuck with me, and I just thought, oh, that's that's Cyrus Perkins, right? I mean, that's um, mm-hmm. the weirdest uh, comment I've ever made, and it just kind of stuck it stuck with me. I thought it was hilarious, and I just, I just thought, wow, okay. That's that's a story. There's a story in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, did you work out the whole story while you were in the hospital in your head? Uh, you know, I think I got about 80% there. I had two endings for it, um, and I was on the fence with both. I, You know, it's a supernatural mystery, and I didn't know if I wanted to really, really go supernatural with it. Yeah. Uh, and then I talked to Anna, who... Uh, is uh, the most amazing artist I've ever worked with. Uh, and she was like, go, 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 go full pig on this. Just go for it. And so we wrote the ending together. Um, and it just, it goes decidedly dark with, uh, well, she knows, she knows how the series is going to continue. So she knew how supernatural things are going to get in the next volume. Or so, there's going to be another volume. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's, Hopefully a trilogy. Uh, every every four issues is a self-contained uh, uh, story. Oh, okay. I kind of even the titles lend themselves to that kind of like goosebumpy teen thing, where it's Cyrus Perkins in the haunted taxi cab, and then it's Cyrus Perkins in the death brigade, and then the the third one. I don't want to give it away too much, but it's, uh, it's Cyrus Perkins in the God War, and uh, that every one is going to be slightly. Well, they're all going to build on this world that we're developing and um i think people are going to be really really surprised at how uh supernatural it gets those titles are so metal dave good job i know man i know but but also very uh harry potter you know yeah and that was kind of like what i wanted to do with it i kind of wanted to to do my version of a of a young reader's supernatural book you know um and in fact i had i have three different versions of it like you know, one that's all ages, one that's completely R-rated, and then the one that's right in the middle that we went with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, and I love lettering my own stuff because I love tweaking my dialogue. Um, when it comes in, you know, when pages come in, it changes everything. Um, it does. It's you so get true. the luxury of, of, of reworking, you know? It's so awesome. Well, back to Cyrus Perkins. I mean, given your near-death experience in this cab, uh, obviously... Cyrus Perkins is a pretty personal story, but yeah. why did you decide to make the ghost Michael a kid in the book? What was the motivation for making him younger than say making him your age? That's a, I mean, you know what? That's a really, really good question. Um, the, I write things like I'm writing screenplays. I guess that's my process. I'm thinking of things in widescreen all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, even my life sometimes I, I, I think of things in the widescreen. It's really strange. Um, but you you have very little time with this dying person in a cab. And by the time he's dead, you need your audience to care about him. Mm-hmm. And if the character was Cyrus or Cyrus's age, I guess, uh, or my age, uh, which would be 
15 years older than Cyrus. I'm oh, I'm older than you think I am, by the way. Um, How old are you, Dave? 41. Yeah, I didn't think you were that old. Yeah, see? Um, but uh, you need you need your audience to care, right? And I could have written the dialogue exactly the same and, and made that person a, a 20-something, mm-hmm. and you would have cared less. You know, and I think that maybe Cyrus would have cared less. I think Cyrus may have even been cold to that. You know what I mean? Like he's Cyrus is the kind of person that 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 doesn't want to really engage in society. He's actually a cab driver because he doesn't really want to have a real job. You know, his right. his maybe fiance is is the breadwinner in the family. You know what I mean? And so, uh, in my eyes, he's just kind of uh, you know taking the, the path of least resistance. And that's that's the way he does things. So having this kid in his cab that's dying is really what's thrusting him into becoming a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, where I don't think he would have felt that way if if you know uh, any any adult got into his cab dying. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. I didn't think of that angle, um, but definitely I thought of the angle where he's younger, his life is totally cut short. So of course you're going to feel more uh, empathy for somebody younger who never really got to experience all the great things in life. Right. And there's definitely an air of, of, of loss and sadness in everyone that, uh, that Cyrus uh, talks to, because as he's trying to figure it all out, he's also just trying to get to know Michael, like the real Michael, mm-hmm. you know, and it turns out that he, that Michael may or may not be a, a, ni- a nice kid, a good person, right. you know, um, just because he's a sweet, innocent, uh, really boyish um, amnesiac doesn't mean that he doesn't have a past himself. So um, that is all going to kind of come to light, too. So, um, you know, the idea of Michael moving on to an afterlife, heaven, hell, wherever, whatever, um, he may or may not go to the place that Cyrus thinks he should. Right. You know. And he doesn't remember anything, so he just, he seems so innocent, too, just because he has amnesia. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a really, it's a, I mean, I don't, you know, it's like you don't want to teach your own, but I think it's a really inter- interesting balance uh, writing it, you know, and just trying to figure out exactly how to portray these characters. Um, by the third issue, Michael's going to remember everything, and then shit hits the fan. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to get really intense in that fourth issue. Mm-hmm. Well, as Cyrus investigates, you mentioned we're going to see more of uh, what Michael's life was like as a teenager. Um, but was it difficult for you to get into that teenage mindset when you're writing some of Michael's past? You know, I, I tend to obsess over um, my characters a lot before I write. And I think that's why I'm having not trouble writing nowadays because I don't I'm, I'm reacting now. Mm-hmm. To, to writing, whereas when I wrote Cyrus and I and I had the time to just figure out who these characters were, I obsess over these characters like well, all my characters like crazy. Mm-hmm. So by the time I actually get to write, I, I I could shut my eyes and they just tell me what to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. I mean, to just like know your characters so well that you're like, it, it's easy. You're just breaking it down into panels, you know. Yeah, no, I'm like that, too, where you actually think, like, what kind of music would they listen to? You know, what would they do in this situation that's not in the book? Right. Like they're almost yeah. like real people. That's the thing. I, You know, if, if you were to ask me what, what kind of music Cyrus listens to, I could tell you exactly. Michael, I, I, could, I, I don't even know. Something, something that I'm too old to know. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, that would be the answer to the, the question. Like, some, some weird, shitty, poppy music that I have no idea. You know, like... Uh, not One Direction, but something stupid like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm too old to know. I'm too old to know what kind of music he listens to. <laughs> and that's how Cyrus would react to it, too, you know? Yeah. But it was really interesting writing uh, what something that happened in my life and putting myself into, into the boy's shoes and then for the rest of the story, putting myself in the cab driver's shoes, you know? Um and the way Anna drew Cyrus, he kind of looks like me, which is kind of weird. Um, it's like me with hair and also African-American. But um, <laughs> Well, he's got a hat on like almost all the time. He, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, if you, I, I was thinking about cosplaying my own characters just to do it. Um, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I have like one character who's a Pacific Islander in, uh, 
in uh, double jumpers and uh, and a feisty redhead and my my fiance's a redhead and I'm uh, Filipino. So I'm thinking at, at one of the bigger shows, I was like, look, you cosplay as her, I'll cosplay as, as Andrew. And uh, let's see what it does. Let's see if we actually sell more books because of it. That's hilarious because I'm mixed and my wife is a redhead too. No way. Yeah. What, what, what nationalities are you? Uh, well, I'm mainly Indonesian and Italian. So basically Pacific Islands and uh, Italian. And then, um, you know, I've got uh, German, Irish. Uh, I got some African-American in there. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm half Filipino and half Italian myself. So big families then? Uh, yeah, both sides are big. Um, my grandmother was really secretive about her origins. So um, we had this whole family, but we never knew because she had this whole black side and it was really um taboo i guess to admit that you had that because her father was white so she just kind of identified the, that one side and not the other and we didn't find out till much much later after she passed away that we had this whole other side that lived in LA it's pretty crazy. It's crazy yeah all right so Cyrus Perkins is set in New York City i recognized uh, some of the names cuz i'm from New York um why did you choose that particular locale for the story, you know, I, I for me, I think that that that's the the when I think of taxis right, and big cities, I instantly go with with New York. I I am from well, I'm on the West Coast, born and raised. Uh, I could have done San Francisco, but to me, it doesn't feel as like earthy. I and and I think that like. Uh, when you break it down, I think taxi cab drivers in the city in New York are way more what I would consider legit taxi cab drivers. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I get into a taxi in uh, New York, I feel like I could hang out with those guys. Uh-huh. I feel like they're real people. Uh, in, in San Francisco and some of the other big cities, uh, you're, you're only getting from, from point A to point B. Um, I remember getting into a cab uh, in New York and it just stuck with me. And, and the, the guy was like, Super friendly and oddly racist, but hilarious. And you were like, "What? You're a fucking, you're a character, you know." Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when it came to to uh, picking a location, it was New York just came came to me. I mean, it, it, New York is is taxicab central for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you mentioned characters, and uh, Cyrus Perkins is the main character in your story, and he's very likable. He's this blue collar guy, uh, but he seems stuck in a job that he doesn't particularly care for. Right. But this mystery kind of energizes him. And I found him uh, to be relatable, not just his base personality, but the fact that something else came in that gave him a boost. So, you know, what inspired Cyrus's personality and this uh, personal renaissance that he goes through in the book? Well, I again, I think that that he is a person that that is very very flawed uh, and and it may seem like a a, a lighthearted thing um, and some of the things he goes through are, are some of the things that i I go through you know um I drink too much I used to smoke too much um, I'd hide that stuff from uh, loved ones and uh, I wasn't necessarily one to take action when I saw injustice mm-hmm. um, so and and since uh, my youth, I, I've become a completely different person, and, and it hasn't been by any kind of design. Um, but putting myself in that situation where you would have to take uh, a normal, flawed person and put them into this kind of strange, supernatural uh, environment uh, where you have to find, you know, you're finding yourself along with finding out about this boy. Um, I, I think that just generally he is someone that, has never thought to look for himself. Um, and this just kind of spurs him to kind of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even remember the question. Uh, but <laughs> No, what inspired him to have this kind of uh, a personal renaissance? Well, I, I think that, I think that I've, I, I don't want to give away too much because in volume two, uh, we're going to peel back the onion a little bit. I will say that, um, oh man, I really don't want to spoil it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, let's just say this. Yeah, don't spoil it. Is it like a flashback to his earlier days, or? Yes. Let's just say that that uh, without it being reincarnation, he has lived other lives. Huh. And 
the person that he was is the person that he's now be- going to become. Oh, without it being reincarnation. And and yeah, when I actually, when we hang out and, and when we're not recording, I'll tell you all about it. I told Nick, uh, the, the uh, writer of, of Holy Fuck, about it. And he was like, I would have never seen that swerve ever. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to be able to go back and read volume one of Cyrus Perkins. And all of the things that I mentioned to him are going to mm. tie together. It's kind of like Lost where you're like, you know, when they were tightly written, you could go and see how everything's tied together um, before they kind of like said, hey. That wasn't often, though. Yeah, no, no. No, it was it was for a while. And then they were like, wait, we've got to milk this for how many seasons? I don't know. Just throw shit to the... Let's create the temple people who don't matter at all. Let's create this knife that supposedly kills God and the devil, but then we'll just right. get rid of it. Right, Yeah, that show that show suffered from uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, man. I mean, <sighs> I, I, I love that show. I remember meeting Damon Lindelof on uh, the street, and it was like right after season one, and I was like, I was like, what are you doing, man? I'm like, the hatch. You better, you know, like, you better explain all of this. You better have this shit down because if you don't, I'm coming for you. And uh, he's like, don't worry, we got it all handled. This was at San Diego, like, mm. you know, after season one, and and we were in the same hotel. Like all the lost people were there, and. Uh, last day of San Diego, uh, he was just sitting on a duffel bag waiting for his limo to show up. So I got to sit with him for about a half hour. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that if they were left to their own devices, that show would have been like completely epic and not the shit show let down that it was. Well, I remember being really let down. They hired Brian K. Vaughn to come in and they said that, hey, we're going to refocus this. We're going to write all this stuff in advance. Uh, we're planning it all out. And then it just it never happened. You know, like they knew that they needed to tighten it up, but they never really accomplished it. I feel like, like, I don't, I don't even know why Brian K. Vaughn would ever sign on to Lost, to be honest. Like, cash, man. I, well, <laughs> I guess there's that. Hey, I don't know anything about this money that you speak of. <laughs> like, um, I write comics. Uh, there's no money in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I guess the cash, sure, but I think he only wrote maybe like two episodes and was like, uh, writing in a, in a box like that with 12 other writers is awful, you know? I, I, yeah, I can't imagine it being fun. Nah, no, I mean, maybe writing sitcoms, maybe. I, I don't even know. I, I, I couldn't tell you. Sitcoms would be better because people would be throwing out different jokes or situations that would be fun. And it'd be easier to throw away those scenes if they weren't as funny as something else somebody came up with. Right. Lost has to be the, one of the worst rooms ever because there's so much going on and you've got to piece it together. You have to figure all of that out. And they didn't do it at the beginning. So to try to go back and then you have to look back on all the seasons and characters and everything that happened and then try to piece it together is hard. People that like love that show are crazy. I mean, I, not to say that it, it wasn't enjoyable at the time, but if, if someone asked me to watch it again right now, I'd be like, no, sorry, man. I'm not going to do it. No way. Because no. um, I know what happens. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care how, how good the moments were, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you know, they were, they were like, oh, it's, it's not about the island. It's about the people. I'm like, nah, man, it's about the island. I mean, like, you know, it, if, if I don't get closure there, I spent too much time in a place that has no explanation. No, no. It's bullshit. Yeah, no. I mean, the the stories where it focused on the characters were by far the best, but, you know, they didn't always serve the main plot at all. So. Was it Nikki, was it Nikki and Paolo, those two characters that showed up for just half a second and then died? Oh, we were like, thanks for wasting two episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't get a lot of what was going on in that show. But back to Cyrus Perkins, apparently we're going to learn more about Cyrus's past. And I was going to ask about Iris, because she seems like she's the really patient person who's been waiting for him to just figure out what he wants to do. Does he even realize how lucky he is to have somebody like that? Does anyone ever realize how lucky they are? Hi, <laughs> honey. As my fiance walks right by, oh, hey, babe. How are you? I appreciate you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice save there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, here's the thing. Um, it plays into that, that whole past life thing. Um, 
again without it being reincarnation. Uh, but uh, there's there's an element to their relationship that that when the onion gets uh, peeled, uh, people are going to realize what their relationship really is. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious now. She is super super motherly for very good reason, um, and she's not his mother. <laughs> Again, I'm teasing, I'm teasing these things out. When, when we're done talking about, you know, on 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 air, I'll I'll tell you all about it. Right. But um, you know, the the unfortunate thing about writing this series, and it's weird because I've written tons of series where I play with multiple characters and they all have their their spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, uh, in this series, it's it's she's an emerging character, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's not actually going to be able to. To get her her day in the sun, uh, and neither honestly is Morris, who is like another great female character in the book, um, and her name is a huge clue as to as to where I'm going with this. But um, so anyone that's listening to this and has any that gives a shit about anything at all uh, about my series, uh, Google Morris and you'll figure you'll figure some stuff out. Um, back covers are a huge hint on in in my book, um, and. Uh, yeah. So so anyway, those characters are emerging characters. They're all going to have their their spotlight mm-hmm. in uh, Death Brigade. Um, all the characters in, that that are in uh, um, Cyrus One are going to be in Cyrus Two, and a lot of them are part of the Death Brigade. So yeah, yeah, that's a tease for you. There yeah, you it's a big tease. Now I want to know what's going to happen in the next one as well. So Cyrus is playing detective in this book, which is something he doesn't really know anything about. And I recently listened to this podcast called Criminal, and um, I heard this story about this young soccer player who becomes obsessed with solving the murder of a homeless woman that he knew. And um, it's really interesting because at first the cops made fun of him and thought he was in over his head, but then he ends up solving the case because he came at it from a different perspective. So obviously Cyrus has a supernatural motivation to find Michael's killer, but I was wondering what your thoughts are on civilians getting involved in police cases in the real world. Um, you know, I, hell, you know, I'm all for it as long as they're not throwing their, their lives in jeopardy. Um, and unfortunately that's what happens with Cyrus. Um, mm. and that's, you know, ultimately how he solves the, the murder. I mean, uh, uh, without giving away too much again, you know, it's, it's again, mysteries are tough to talk about, you know, unless you're going to, you're going to, you're going to give away or you feel like you're going to, you might give away too much. But, um, you know, did you ever watch that show Bored to Death? Uh, was that an HBO show with a Grim Reaper as a girl? Oh, no, that was, that was, oh God, what was that? That was Dead Like Me. Oh. But, uh, but, uh, Bored to Death, it was Jason Schwartzman is a, uh, as a writer, a fail, failing writer who oh, basically... Yeah masquerades as, as a private eye uh, mm-hmm. for inspiration. Um, you know, I, I always think it's, it's interesting when every, well, interesting, I think it's, it's admirable when everyday people um, push past the limitations. So I'm all for it, but again, if you're going to throw yourself into traffic, expect to get hit. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, I really enjoyed the buddy vibe. I think you mentioned it earlier that uh, we get an issue two between Cyrus and Michael. Right. That issue is definitely lighter than the first issue, which basically dealt with Michael's death in the cab and Cyrus being unhappy in his life. So uh, as a writer, do you enjoy making those kinds of uh, shifts in story and characters? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and you know, for me, um, it's always about the characters. And it's, you know, I, I, like I, I love... I love writing first issues. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. You know, you, you, it's like you set up all the dominoes in your brain and then you get to press it, you know, and then you get to see, because you know that you set up those first 25 dominoes perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as it goes on, I mean, you know, you, you run the risk of, of, of the dominoes stopping, right? So I'm always terrified of issue three. Like issue one I've got, issue two I've got down, three, you know, three I'm like, well, you know, most times I'm writing, I'm writing four issue arcs, and if you haven't set up the dominoes correctly for three and four, you could fall on your ass. It's tough. So, so first issues, I always get that spark of, and you always get, you know, when you get the pages back, you get it lettered, you get it colored, and you're like, oh man, it's good. This is a great first issue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with Cyrus one, I was a little afraid that that issue one didn't give me enough character, and I think I may have relied a little bit on this 
you know, uh, pulling on the heartstring thing with the kid dying, right? Right. But uh, I always knew that, there, that it was going to get lighter. I always knew that their relationship was going to be really lighthearted and fun. Um, so I was waiting to get to that. And then, you know, again, you, you, you build upon that, you know. And, and I like throwing people for a loop. So hopefully by the third issue, which I'm lettering now, um, ooh, you can go on previews, previews world and look it up. You can see the first six to eight pages. You get to meet a lot of, uh, a bunch of, uh, of, uh, Michael's friends from school in, mm. in the issue. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't give away too much, but, uh, but things are not as they seem. Hmm. So a lot of the story so far has been set in Cyrus's cab. Did you do any research on cabbies or cab companies or maybe take extra rides in cabs to uh, get a feel for what that job is like? No, you know, I, I, I always, okay, I think of it, I think of cabs and, and I, I kind of lay it out in the first issue. It's just kind of like a purgatory. It's, it's between here and there. No one really wants to be in the cab, uh, much less the cab driver, it's his fucking job, you know what I mean? Like, no one really wants to be in this cab. Um, so I just kind of used it as a kind of uh, analogy for life, and then just wrote that. So, you know, the cab is just a backdrop for life, you know? Right. Well, car horror, I've realized, is an actual genre in horror fiction, but you don't see it a lot. And your book is a mix of different genres like we talked about before. But I don't know that I've ever seen like a car noir book before in comics. Is horror and noir something that you like in film or comics? I mean, definitely noir. Um, horror, you know, I feel like a, a fraud sometimes because I'm like a fan of the classics, you know, the, the Michael, the, the Jason, um, you know, the Freddy. Um, and not even, not even, I actually like the, 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 uh, memory of Freddy. I tried to watch one of them the other day and I was like, whoa, what, what oh, the yeah. fuck? Like, wow, it's just fucking terrible. Um, it's like watching old cartoons, you know, yeah. you loved them when you're a kid, you can't watch them. You can't watch Thundercats now. It's horrible. Yeah. But you know, oddly enough though, I could always watch a Halloween. I could watch Halloween four all day. Um, <laughs> It's like one of my favorite uh, slasher movies. Uh, it's so weird, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's obviously the lesser. I mean, it's like one, two, four. It actually like starts at the top and then goes, you know, goes downhill as you you watch them, right? right. Um, but I love I love for the return. That, that's so good. Um, but you know, we we have the full moon license and um, Sean Gabbard, who is a huge huge horror dude, like super he, Like I mean, he knows the nooks and crannies of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked me if I wanted to write one of their books, and I was like, no. I, I mean, there's one that I'm probably going to do because no one remembers it, so I can do what I want with it. Um, but I would feel like a fraud if I if I wrote um, Puppet Master or anything like that. You know, I, I didn't I didn't grow up on that stuff, so I don't have a, a love for it. Exorcist, love. You know, I mean, there's like I said, the classics, some obscure stuff. I was into zombie stuff like before the zombie craze. You know. Um, but yeah, no, not so much anymore. I did, lo- I did love It Follows. I don't know if you've seen it. I, I saw. I hated it. Really? Yeah. Why? Because all the characters were amazingly stupid, and it seemed like it would be really easy to just trick the monster and never have to deal with it again, because it just walks to you. So you could just go across the country, have sex with somebody over there, like make a deal, come back, go to a different country. The thing's got to walk over the ocean. It can't go on planes or trains or anything. You know, why didn't you just trap it in some cement or something? They didn't even use any, like, spray paint on it to see it, you know? You, but, were, like, but it you just, were like the people that hated Snowpiercer. <laughs> I, I like Snowpiercer, actually. <laughs> but that makes no sense either, man. It I mean, doesn't, like, but not like this. This one, it was. it's all about trying to stop this creature and getting as much information as you can. And in this movie, the kids, they find that guy who had sex with her in the beginning right away, even though the cops can't find him. So they're capable, smart kids. The cops can't even track this kid down, but they can. Yet they can't think to just, I don't know, just do anything else. The ending was them going to a pool and trying to electrocute it, even though there's no 
information saying that electrocution is going to work on this at all. Like, I just, I thought it was really poor storytelling. Oh, man. Now really I want to watch it again. You're killing me. Yeah, I actually wrote a review on it I, I, <laughs> for Sequart. I just savaged it. Because um, everybody loves it, and I love horror, and uh, I was really looking forward to it because I had heard so many good things about it. But I actually think it's one of the worst ones. It wasn't scary to me at all. Give me a give me a good one. Give me a good recent horror movie. <sighs> good recent horror movie. Have you ever seen uh, uh, Dead Snow? Yeah. Wait, the one with the Nazi zombies. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, the first one's good. I haven't seen the second one. Um, oh, all right, I'm trying to think. Uh, um, I just saw the new M. Night Shyamalan one. Uh, it was all right. I, I, old people are scary. They were really scary, and a lot scarier than the what was going on in It Follows. I'm trying to think of like a really scary one. I'm not really scared by a lot. Um, have you seen the movie The Guest? The Guest. The Guest. It came out last year. You might like it, actually, Dave, because it's a mix of genres. Um, there's a little bit of horror in it, a little bit of science fiction in it, um, it's about this guy who is, um, in the army and, um, his friend dies and uh, he comes back to see his relatives to tell him, listen, I'll do, you know, whatever you guys need. He was my friend and I just wanted to stick around and help you guys out. And then all this stuff starts coming up about him. And, uh, I love that movie. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that one out. Uh, for no sure. one saw. It. I saw it in the theater. <laughs> like 1.3 million people saw the movie or something like that. So, uh, but it got very good reviews. But I wouldn't call that straight horror. I don't know. I, I haven't seen a great great horror movie in a long long time that really scared me. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, to be honest. I uh, I was looking forward to um, the visit just because old people terrify me. I mean, it was a good movie, and it was there was there's definitely scary parts in it, and the twist was good. I thought um, so. Um, the I Shyamalan enjoyed it. Twist was good. It was good. I liked it. The thing with M Night uh, Shyamalan is that because he did that first movie, everybody looks for the twists. So if you think about it too hard, you're probably gonna figure it out, you know? Right, right. Um, but if you just kind of go in there and just watch it as a movie, I think that you get entertained, and the twist still has impact. Right. Um, I think a lot of his movies have suffered since Sixth Sense because of that, because everybody thinks they can guess and outsmart them. I, I like most of the movies that he's done. Um, but yeah, it's always going to follow him, that kind of, uh, that stigma. I think people's like, ah, I know what you're doing, M. Night Shyamalan. Right, I got your number. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, and a lot of people love Unbreakable. I think it's probably my, one of my least favorite ones. I like The Village. Um, you know, uh, what, what's the one with the uh, the aliens? Oh, God. Signs. Signs. It's pretty good. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, now I'm looking at my... I'm going to look at my horror collection here. But, yeah, I mean, I, I like horror stuff. Uh, by no means am I a horror writer. Although, I do feel like I'm a character writer. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's the trick that... Um, in, a, in every uh, horror movie, is you, you better get attached to this character so that when they do die, they're not just fodder, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And that's very hard to do in, in, you know, an hour and a half or two hours. Um, trying to think. I mean, Cabin in the Woods is great, you know? Not not necessarily a scary horror movie, but, you know, effective. Right. Well, and that's another one that mixes genres. That, that was a really good movie. Yeah. So, have you ever seen a ghost yourself, Dave? Yes. You have? Yeah. What happened? Um, and a lot of people are going to be like, this guy's a fucking kook. But, um, yeah, my my uh, the house that my parents uh, lived in, they, they bought it when I was like, uh, I don't know, six or seven. Um, I'll always remember it, too, because we moved into a, a house that was painted black, which is really strange. Wow. Um, and, uh, okay, so, so the story behind that, before I get into the whole uh, ghost thing, um, the... The uh, husband of an aging uh, woman, you know, they're, they're like basically grandparent age. He died of cancer. She committed suicide in the house. Um, the son was like, I'm going to sell the house. So they disclosed that she died in the house. And um, and when he went to go put a fresh coat of paint on the house, he went for like a light gray. And overnight it dried black. <laughs> Whoa. So we were like, all right, so we moved in this black house. My mom and dad were like, you know, lady killed herself in here. They just to let you know. And then weird shit would happen in the house. Really, really fucking, you know, like anytime anyone spent the night at our house, 
weird shit went down. Um, my cousin spent the night once, came in late, went to the kitchen, got a glass of water, shut the lights off, went to the bathroom, came out of the bathroom. The lights were on the kitchen, so he thought my parents were awake. He went into the kitchen. All the cabinets were open. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm out. And he just left. <laughs> right? Wow. And I remember him coming in because I had a friend spending the night. And um, I remember him coming in and I was saying, like, quiet down, quiet down. He's here. We can't, like, you know, let him know that we're still awake. Right? And I, right. I heard him come in, do all those things, and leave. So I was like, where did you go? He's like, I slept in my car. He's like, I drove, like, five miles away and slept in my car. Um but we used to see things around the house, um, you know, uh, you could chalk it up to kids being kids. But if it wasn't for the fact that, like, every time someone spent the night, some weird shit went down, like, you know, one night, one of my other cousins was like, Do you, you know, where's your cat? And we're like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, something ran up my spine last night. Like, something pushed me down on the on the bed and ran up my spine. And we were like, yeah, we don't have a cat. They're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know. So one night I uh, was uh, alone uh, in my room, and uh, I remember someone calling my name and looking in the corner and seeing like an old lady talking, like saying my name. And I just covered myself and went to sleep, like you know, covered myself completely and never ever looked up again. Um, Really, really creepy. Really, really, really creepy. Um, My brother, I graduated. He didn't want to come to my graduation ceremony. He was downstairs. He heard walking upstairs. He knew we weren't going to be back for a while. Um, He then went upstairs with a bat, like a baseball bat. And uh, we had this big, like, large window that you could, the moon could cast a shadow on on a wall. So he saw someone standing behind him. And he turned and there was no one there and then looked at the wall again. And there was a shadow like kind of trying to envelope him. And uh, my parents, I, I went out party that night because I graduated high school. But mm-hmm. my parents found him like crying in a corner with a gun, with my dad's gun. He went into my dad's like, dresser, pulled the gun out. Jesus. Yeah, crazy. Um, so do I believe in ghosts? I, I believe in something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... That was crazy. I mean, living in that crazy haunted house was was enough, you know. Well, that's a lot of instances for one place. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, and it seemed it seemed to to dissipate as as time went on. Uh, you know, and a lot, again, a lot of people are going to be like, "Well, that's because you got older." Um, but here you go, though. I mean, who's to say that when you're younger, you don't see shit that that is there? Um, you know, right? Or yeah. it's a figment of your imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one or the other. If you ever became a ghost, what place would you most likely haunt? Oh, shit. Brian Michael Bendis' bathroom. Um, <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? That's awesome. Wait, 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 how's, 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 uh, how's Marvel Comics treat you? Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, who would... You know, I think that I think that uh, it, it would be a matter of who would you haunt because I think that's that's also part of the problem. You would you would most likely haunt the person that you care about the most, and then you would have to realize that you got to go, right? I mean, that's why that, that's why you would assume ghosts haunt places because they just can't leave that place behind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You assume that. You would assume that. I don't know. Yeah. Again, uh, I could be crazy. <laughs> well, let's talk about your artist a little bit, uh, Anna. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Uh, Lencioni. Lencioni. Well, how did you meet her and come to work together uh, on the series? She um, she and I worked together on the NFL book. I was just kind of a project manager on the NFL Rush Zone book that we did years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I met her through uh, Mia, who is the uh, artist of Princeless and also the uh, creator of Tomboy, which is coming out. Um, and, uh, she recommended Anna, um, Mia, it was a, uh, professor, uh, at, professor, instructor at, uh, SCAD. So she knew all of these great students that were coming up in the, in the, the comics world, uh, recommended Anna to me. And then Anna worked on the NFL book with us. Um, and then, uh, so she always kind of stuck out in my mind as someone that was uber capable uh, of doing what I, you know, of 
drawing what I envisioned in my in my mind. And mm-hmm. uh, when it came to Cyrus, she was like the number one person that I wanted to work with. Um, ironically, she had just gotten out of the hospital um, as I was getting out of the hospital. She has uh, a weird, um, or she had a weird blood clot thing where she wound up in a coma um, for a couple weeks. And then, uh, and she, I think she almost died. I mean, don't, really? don't quote me on that. But we were two just busted ass people that we're working on a story about a busted ass group of people, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of perfect um, that life would give way to inspiration to do this. And knowing that she had just kind of looked death in the face too, made it that much easier for us to just kind of say, yeah, this is something we both want to do. Mm-hmm. And what does she bring to the book? Uh, that makes it come alive for you? Oh, life. She is, Anna is life. She is the best. Um, and I don't say this so other writers are going to try and steal her, but she is, she she has a, a really great, I don't want to say simple because it's not true. It's, it's, uh, it's a very strong uh, animated style that really mm-hmm. kind of, lightens some of those heavy moments, you know, and then at the same time, she's got this really great um, sense of expression that she, you know, when I write one quick, simple line, you know, uh, he looks down regretfully, you know, uh, she brings that all to life, you know, I mean, without mm-hmm. her, there is no book. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's just, she's just one of my favorite people in the world, really. I mean, um, super, you know, just, just, uh, I mean, genuine, Lighthearted, great, friendly, you know, just uh, I got nothing bad to say about her, man. <laughs> you enjoy collaborating with her. That's oh, great. for sure, for sure. Yeah, we always, uh, whenever we email each other, we're always like the use of exclamation points would make everyone else want to vomit. We're just like super <laughs> excited, you know. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh, I know, I know, I'm telling you, it's, it's the worst. But uh, she's so good that when pages come back, I'm like, well, that just made my script look a thousand times better. Um, and <laughs> so there very, very rarely do I ever say, hey, can you change that? Because with her, there's no need. And and that's very, very rare. I'm working on like four titles right now. By the way, that's that's the source of my pain right now. I'm mm. paying for four titles to get made. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. and And then... It's interesting, too, because I've never worked on so many titles um, at once, and I have artists asking me for scripts, which is never, ever the case. It's Usually, I have the whole thing written out, here it is, go, and then we tweak it along the way. I'm writing, like, four titles that I'm writing, like, issue two of Infinite Seven. I'm writing the first issue of a book called Nikki Blaze. Um, Double Jumpers is still going, and then Cyrus Perkins is, is done on my end, but I'm still lettering it and coloring it. So... I, and then you know the action list stuff. I don't. I don't even know how I'm. I'm working as uh, well as I am. I'm a very fractured person. Um, so <laughs> this is a test for I sure. I don't know how you're doing this interview right now. And it, well, and I'm drawing right now too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I just remembered another movie you might not have seen. It's called a Europa Report, and it's a horror movie. It's a sci-fi horror movie. Uh, Europa being the uh, moon of Jupiter. It's a small indie film. That was pretty good. I really liked it. I think that that's on um, Instant Watch, too. So I'll, I think I can probably like check that out tonight. Oh, did you see Mad Max, by the way? Yes, I saw it twice. Okay, so you like that one? Yes. Oh, good. Did you? Oh, yeah. I was about to say, that's where I draw the line. I mean, we can disagree about certain <laughs> things, but that means... <laughs> yeah, Mad Max, I love. Just the layering in that movie when there's not a lot of dialogue was pretty impressive, I thought. I love at the end where Max, he really isn't the hero at all. You know, he doesn't do anything to to make himself the hero. It's really Furiosa. Uh, but I love the fact that he's this blood bag in the beginning, and at the very end of the movie, his most heroic act is to give blood to Furiosa. Right, right. It's amazing. Like, it's such a small thing, but I thought that was so well done. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Because he's basically along for the ride the whole time. And uh, the one thing he does, he makes the choice to give life, not to take life away, which was really, really cool. And you know the uh, the theory that he's not Max? Oh, no, I don't know this theory. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so the idea is that this is a sequel to Road Warrior, and he's the boomerang kid. 
Oh, interesting. So you're going to have to watch it again because there's a watch Road Warrior and then watch mm-hmm. Mad Max Fury Road because in Road Warrior, he, he gives the, the kid a, a music box and then this Mad Max has the music box and he has a boomerang in his, in his uh, back. Remember when he's going out into the deadlands to kill all those people and you don't see what he does mm-hmm. and you're kind of bummed that you don't get to see it? Uh, mm-hmm. He's got a, a boomerang in his backpack. That is really cool. So yeah, but Mad Max is is a is bigger than one character, right? So I, I, the way I'm I'm thinking is like as time goes on, maybe the moniker of Max means hope and or justice or something, and that's why you, he doesn't say his name until the very end. And he's grunting a lot in the movie. He doesn't even talk really because right. he's you know that weird guttural kid, right. Right, that is weird. Yeah, really cool. It's a really cool uh, layer, whether or not it pans out. You know, now that that's out there in the world, I mean, they could swerve on that and just be like, no, nah, that's not it. <laughs> they could do it or not. Even if they didn't intend it, they could go that way. Or if they did intend it, they could just go a completely different direction with it. Right, right. And yeah, they're, they're going to do three for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, that movie made a lot of money. Yeah, dude, I have it in 3D, and uh, holy shit. Like... We were watching it, and uh, and my my fiance was like, "What the fuck are we watching?" Because it's intense. In, I mean, it's already an intense movie, but when you're watching it in 3D at home, you're just like, "Dude, it's like it's totally orgasmic." Hmm. I don't really like 3D, but you think it's good in 3D? I, maybe I'd give it a shot. Yeah, there aren't very many good 3D movies. I mean, I'll admit it. You know, I, I'm looking at my list of 3D movies that I have, and the best one. Still, I mean, other than Mad Max. Mad Max is, well, it's up there. But Predator, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in 3D. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. In 3D, that movie is fucking ridiculous. The, really? the way they ported it over, the the jungle has so much depth. and Oh, the Predator vision is probably really cool, too. Yeah, right? yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I saw a Prometheus in 3D just because it was the only one available and we were with people. And um, I actually liked that because it felt like you were inside their helmets, like you could see the displays. Right. So, And they didn't use it that much. So I like that part of it. But uh, I could see that with the Predator because you do see his vision a lot, and that would be kind of neat. Yeah, it's a really good version. So yeah, so I got a couple more questions. Action Comics, we mentioned, is celebrating five years as a publisher. Yeah. Obviously, that's awesome. It's a great achievement for a newer comic book company and a great achievement for you as a founding member. But what does that growth, um, that accomplishment uh, of Action Lab mean to you as a creator? Oh, boy. That's a crazy question. Um, I'll be honest. I, I work so crazy hard at, at it that... Um, I'm not even thinking about it. I, you know, I mean, if I were to, if I were to like look back, I would say that like I'm really glad that we were able to do what we've done in, su- in such a short time, and 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 it's. I feel like we're just beginning. We've just finally hit our stride. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I say, here's the next five years. You know, I'm not. I, we're going to promote the hell out of five years because not a lot of publishers do that. Not a lot of publishers mm-hmm. last that long. You know. Um, but for me, it just means I've got more work ahead of me and I'm going to keep going. That's it. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm working on the whole, um, you know, my problem as a, as a creator is I, I, I live in my head so much. It's got to drive everyone around me fucking crazy because (laughs) people will be talking and I'm like plotting out, you know, the next issue of my book. And, you know, it's, it's, I have a weird brain, you know, and, and, and it, Feels selfish at times, but at the same time, I, I don't think I could shut it off, you know? Well, with uh, Cyrus Perkins, you were dying and thinking of a, of a book. So, I mean... Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> there you go. There's, there, there you go with priorities, right? I mean, it's really, really strange. So, for people who don't know anything about Cyrus Perkins, hopefully they listen to this uh, interview and they know a lot more, but if they don't know anything about it or they're on the fence about picking it up, you know, what would you say to convince them to uh, give it a shot, Dave? Um, I was editing the, the script for issue two, and it made me cry. Oh. <laughs> so if, if if something that I've written can bring me to tears, I, I don't I don't know if that's I don't even know if that's actually going to get someone interested in it. But the fact that I I kind of feel like it's the most heartfelt thing I've ever uh, written. 
um, should hopefully give someone pause and maybe get them to, to try and pick it up. Um, I usually write comedy. So writing this was, uh, was, uh, you know, something out of my comfort zone. So, you know, I think it shows in the writing and I think that, uh, that if you're not, if you're like a Marvel or DC zombie, uh, get out of your comfort zone. I, I think that everyone should every once in a while check something new out. And like you said, that something like this has, to me, I've never seen anything like it. No. And I think that, uh, that a lot of people, uh, at the end of the day are going to be happy to read something that isn't, uh, a big event, character dies, gets brought back two years later. That's, because that's, that's <laughs> comics, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this, Dave. Oh, dude, great. thank you. You know, I love talking comics. Anytime you want to talk comics, we, we, we can do it. And eventually, I got I to gotta get, get up there to dinner, but eventually uh, I'll let you know what's going on with, uh, with the next volume of, of Cyrus Perkins. I think I would like to drink some beers with you, Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, that, that is uh, a definite. Sounds good. Awesome, dude. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. Hell yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 14th episode of Colloquium with Dave Dwanch. You can find out more about Dave on his website, outofmymind.co. He's also on Twitter, at Dave Dwanch. For more about Colloquium, visit the Sequart Research and Literacy Organization website at sequart.org. Along with the cast, you'll find reviews, documentaries, scholarly articles, and many unique books that discuss and analyze your favorite comic book series and creators. Big thank you to John Raffano, who wrote and performed the Colloquium theme song. John is the guitarist for the post-rock metal band Sonhet, which has just been named Best Metal Band in New York City by The Village Voice. You can listen to the band's music at sonhet.bandcamp.com. Until next time, chums.